Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. JJ Jerez here, Arif Dean from Seattle. Of course, your Colorado Avalanche go up 2-1 in the series last night after a game that they, they really had to dig. And, and you know, the Stars um, really carried the team and got them through in the victory. But we'll get more into that in a second. I think right now, Arif, everyone is intrigued by this mysterious Val Nachushkin situation. So you're in Seattle. You were at the game last night. You got some firsthand info um, from the team itself. So I just want you to get into it, tell your version of the story and everything that we know to be true. So on Saturday, the Avalanche started their morning skate and Val Nechushkin was absent for a maintenance day. Um, later on, we get back to the rink and Val's not there for the skate and we find out that he's no longer with the team. This was kind of something that there was a discussion among media. We kind of had some hints that something was going wrong, that he had left several hours before and we had asked the team about it and kind of started to get a little bit of some clues to connect on, on exactly what's going on. And we didn't really say anything until we talked Jared Bednar post game, obviously the avalanche win six for big game. And Jared said that Val's gone for personal reasons. Uh, leading up to that, actually, even when we were getting ready to go speak with Jared and go into the locker room, we saw all the guys that didn't play Darren Helm. We saw Brad Hunt. We saw Curtis McDermott. We saw Jack Johnson, Gabriel Landeskog, who's here. Uh, but we did not see Val Nichushkin. So kind of the hints that we were putting together, the clues that we were kind of starting to put together were coming to fruition to the idea that Val is not with the team. And as soon as we asked Jared Bedner about it, he did say that, like I said, Val's gone for personal reasons. Uh, we later went back to kind of confirm with a team spokesperson on what exactly that meant. And basically the information we know right now is uh, several hours before the game started, after morning skate, Nichushkin left the team and was taken to the airport and... I didn't get a confirmation that he left Seattle, but he went to the airport. He's not going there to sleep. So like he had to have left Seattle. I asked if he went to Denver, the team couldn't confirm or deny it. Um, obviously there's just like, it's, it's the team knows what's going on, but is being a little bit hush hush about it is the kind of the thing that I'm getting. We asked Jared if it was injury related. He said, no, we asked him if it was uh, disciplinary. He said, no, we asked him when Val's going to be back. He said, I have no idea. We asked him again today, Sunday on their off day when he did media availability. He also said, I have no idea. We are digging into this. We are looking to find more clues on it. There are some things that are kind of coming together on what the story is. Um, but I, the last thing I like to do is share things that are not confirmed. So we're just kind of waiting to see what is confirmed. Um, but ultimately that's the story. The, when, when he was absent from morning skate, it was a maintenance day. We've seen Val take several maintenance days this season, uh, because he's banged up and because he plays a lot and because let's just save his energy for the game. But the morning skate was at 11.30 a.m. Pacific time. The puck drop here was at 7 p.m. Pacific time. And several hours before the game, around 2 or 3 p.m., something happened and, and Nichushkin was taken to the airport uh, by team security. So that's what we know at this time. That is all that is confirmed, I should say, at this time. And that's all that we can share at this time. Um, there is not 
much else that we've gotten from the team at this point, and we'll just have to wait and see. I don't expect him to play game four unless he flies back to Seattle tonight and he's on the ice tomorrow morning. It'll be very interesting if this the thing that he had to leave for is something that he can check on and be back within a day. Uh, wouldn't surprise me, but also I don't expect it to happen. Game five, we'll see. And after that, ultimately, we, we don't know. Yeah, well said. I mean, obviously, you don't want to share any information that could be rumors. So um, that's exactly what has been, I guess, confirmed, like you mentioned. And, and it was just unfortunate because he's such a reason yeah. that they won game two, right? I mean, he was a big part of that. He was he, he looked Okay, like I think he's been battling an injury throughout the playoffs, but he still looks fine. He still was able to execute and be effective the way Val Nichushkin's supposed to be in game two. So, um, yeah, it's terrible timing, of course. And I guess the timing could be worse, right? It could be later in the playoffs. So hopefully this gets resurrected soon. And, um, you know, whatever the avalanche are trying to protect or keep quiet, it's for good reason. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll wait till more things get... Um, divulged is that is that a good word divulged um, <laughs> yeah uh and yeah i guess we'll just go from there but um were you able to talk to any of the teammates today kind of get their side of the story or just get their opinion and feelings on the matter so today the locker room was not open it was uh just a press conference setting because the avalanche didn't have an actual practice today it was just off ice work um i do believe that jack johnson darren helm and um i'm missing a player curtis mcdermott i think we're on the ice Obviously, Darren Helm was a was not a healthy scratch, far from the word healthy, but he was a scratch in game three after playing game two and missing game one. Uh, so Darren Helm is doing his uh, consistent, I am so hurt and so banged up, so use me wisely kind of thing that's been going on all season. Uh, so shout out to him. He was great in game two. But those guys skated. The rest of the team did not. So the Avalanche didn't have a traditional open locker room today for media. It was Evan Rodriguez and JT Comfort coming up to a podium and speaking to us in a press conference setting, followed by Jared Bednar. So uh, we didn't really ask a lot of guys about Val yesterday. You know, when the clue starts to come together, I asked McKinnon about like, you know, it sucks Val or, or you know, it hurts or it hurts the lineup. It hurts the team that Val's not there. And, you know, he said, yeah, it sucks. And went on to talk about the lineup and how it, you know, missing Val is a big piece. Um this is the most important time of the year. This is the best hockey of the year. And Val Nichushkin loves this team to death and loves the sport to death. And it's unfortunate that he's not here because, you know, he wants to be here. I know people were tweeting me that he was on Instagram, liking the videos of um, the avalanche posting like videos of the goals that they were scoring yesterday. So whatever it is that he's dealing with um, is not maybe as concerning as many of you are led to believe, but it's something that he needed to be away for. Uh, I guess is the best way to put it. And we'll just kind of see what happens with that. Yeah, we'll see what else comes to light. And hopefully it's something minor, something quick, and, uh, you know, something we could turn around and see Val Nichushkin back playing in no time because, you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. The Avalanche still have the Kraken to overcome. But if they do get into the second round, I mean, it's going to be really tough without Val Nichushkin. So, um, of course, they were able to get it done last night, but you don't. You know, you don't want to get too comfortable in that setting and, and you want Val in the lineup as soon as possible. Absolutely. So with that said, um, let's move on and, and look at the game itself. Like you mentioned, a, a pretty good 6-4 victory out of the Avalanche, kind of taken over in the third period. And who took over? It was familiar friends Nathan McKinnon and Miko Ranton and took a second for them to really feel like they got involved in the don't, playoffs. But Don't they, forget Kale McCarr. 
Cam McCarr chipped in as well. Sure, sure, absolutely. But I think the reason they won was those two guys putting them on their shoulders. Um, so yeah, just I guess get into Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon taking a couple games to get involved in this series. Have you have you seen the? Well, you probably watched the game, but did you see the celebrations for both of McKinnon's goals? Mm-hmm. You can tell that dude was like. I can't believe I went two games without scoring. I actually wanted to do some digging on this and I didn't get a chance to. So I will uh, tweet it out, you know, at some time after we we get this podcast published. I want to see how long it takes Nathan McKinnon to score his first goal in the postseason every year he's been in the NHL. Because this might be a new record, like three games. It never takes McKinnon three games against the Minnesota Wild. When he was 18 years old, he had three goals and 10 points in a seven game series. I'm pretty sure he scored pretty early in that series in Calgary. He scored the game winner in game two. Obviously, they were shut out in game one against Arizona. He scored a ton in that five game series against uh, St. Louis. He scored against Nashville. He was scoring pretty quick. And now here we are. In the first two games against the Seattle Kraken, he had one assist, which is just mind-boggling to me. So he was super pumped for both of his goals. Miko Rantanen, who had one goal, obviously the one point he had was scoring on the one assist that McKinnon had in the first game. Um, so seeing him get going was was really crucial as well, obviously adding the empty netter. Kel McCarr got a goal of his own and an assist. I believe the, the trio of them combined for five goals and two assists. Those are the guys that, look, we talked about it with Peter Baugh. I talked about it with Kate Shefty. You and I talked about it endlessly over the first two games when we were recapping the Avs games. The Kraken have depth. The Avalanche have lesser depth. The Avalanche have a good defense. The Kraken have a good defense, not as good as the Avalanche. The Avalanche have a good goalie. The Kraken have a good goalie. None of them are world beaters. None of them are bottom of the barrel NHL goalies. The difference between the two teams is the Avalanche have superstars, future Hall of Famers, undeniable NHL undisputed superstars. The Kraken don't have that. They have a kid in Maddie Beneers that is growing into that, but right now they don't have that. That's the difference between the two teams, and that was the difference in Game 3 in Seattle. Yeah, and I think another big difference is just the fact that the Avalanche have those calluses built, right? I mean, they have the war wounds. They, you know, It was really the third period where the Avalanche absolutely took over i think they definitely showed spurts of taking over in in the second but they definitely had full control in the third and i think that's a testament to a the resiliency that we've spoken of all year long and even last year and two just having that experience knowing that okay it's not time to panic we can still stay calm it's the third period we could still take over this game and still win it so um yeah just simply having that experience and and that you know wisdom i guess you could say of stanley cup playoff it helped them out in the last six years have gotten them to this point, right? They had one good year of, of success and the other, I guess four um, were, were, I don't want to call them failures, but shortcomings that, that they learned from. And here we are um, an experienced team that, that has learned how to win and learned how to win against adversity. Yeah. The second period, they started to tilt the ice. Hell, I would say the second half of the first period, they started to tilt the ice. It was the most prevalent in the third period. And what I loved about it being the most prevalent in the third period was Seattle ended that second period with two goals in a flash and the avalanche were dominating, dominating, dominating. I even tweeted out it's all abs right now. And then three minutes later, it was three to three. Like it was right then and there. Seattle scored the two goals. 
Jamie Oleksiak, how about that for a big rugged defenseman that's not known for his goal scoring, scoring a sick goal and then celebrating like a behemoth. And then Matty Beneers ties it up and the place was going wild. I can't explain. I can't believe it took me 11 minutes to get into just how incredible the atmosphere was at Climate Pleasure Arena on Saturday night. It was so loud from the opening puck drop, from the pregame warm-up. This place went nuts. The 3-3 three to three goal, I damn near went deaf. It was so intense in there, and it was genuinely a hostile crowd, and the Avalanche brushed it off, came out in the third period, and despite Seattle doing all of that, they said, we're just going to win this thing. And it was really quickly that Miko Rantanen scored. It was even quicker that Nathan McKinnon <laughs> scored the sickest goal I've seen him score in a little bit. I don't even want to say in quite a while because he scores one of these every month where it's a sick goal. But it's been a little bit of a time since I've seen him score something like that. And then obviously the empty netter made it 6-3. And then Seattle added a garbage time power play goal, which is unfortunate because the Avalanche's PK was perfect up until that moment. I think they kind of let the foot off the gas pedal a little bit too much. But um, it was so great to see that this team, like I said, they have those calluses. They have the star power, the two things that we've been talking about. And coming out in the third period on the road, hostile crowd, historic game for the Seattle Kraken and for the NHL and, and, and being the first one ever for this franchise. Three to three game after trailing three to one for the home team. And the Avs just came out and said, all right, we're just going to take over. And and that was that was awesome to see because... They needed a game like that. They got a game like that. They're feeling really good about themselves. Nobody would be surprised if the series goes seven, but nobody would be surprised if the Avalanche can can scoop this up in five and, and get ready for the next round. Yeah, it's funny how throughout the series we've seen, I think, three times now where two goals were scored within less than a minute of each other, right? Really quick, let me cut you off on that. It has happened 17 times, I think, through the first 12 or 15 games or 18 games. My math is a little off of the playoffs this year. Moral of the story leading into the games on Sunday it had happened already 17 times around the NHL. Funny stuff, funny stuff for sure. But um, no, I guess just looking back at it, you know, the Avalanche were pushing and pushing and pushing. And I, I think it was just simply being patient, right? They had so many great chances and they didn't get down on themselves. They just kept generating good chances and that ultimately, in my opinion, is what allowed Miko Rant and Nathan McKinnon to, I guess, burst out of these shells and, and finally take over was just that tunnel vision that, OK, yeah, sure, we haven't scored yet. Sure, we're still tied, but we just keep going the way we're going and keep doing the things we're doing. It's eventually going to work out. And I can just hear Jared Bednar in my head just saying that exact same thing. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're working hard. You're doing the right things. It's going to work out. And look there. They had a three goal lead at one point till that silly penalty at the at the end. Silly by the ref, not silly by Nathan. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, McKinnon, this was uh, something that one of the reporters was asking about today and, and was asking about yesterday. Yesterday to Nathan, today to his teammates, to, to Rodriguez and Comfer. And it was when you talked to McKinnon yesterday and knowing that it took him, like I said, three games to get into the series on the goal scoring side of it. Um, was he panicked? No. Was he stressed about it? No. And he said, like, you know, I'm getting the chances and they're going to eventually go in. And then they did. And JT Comfer and Evan Rodriguez were asked about this and basically were asked, like, did you guys see it the same behind the scenes? Was Nathan McKinnon calm, cool, collected and, and not panicking about the fact that he hasn't scored? And they said, yeah, he's the last thing Nathan McKinnon does is doubt himself. That's not something you see Nathan McKinnon do. And I think that's spot on. Nathan McKinnon does not doubt himself. He gets frustrated at himself. 
he starts to try to do too much sometimes. But the idea of doubt in his mind is not an is not something that he computes, and and that's why you saw him kind of get through this, carry the wave of what's been going on. I mean, remember in the Stanley Cup final last year was kind of the talk of the series was Nathan McKinnon hasn't scored. I think until game five, I want to say. Yeah. And he even with, it. even with that, Miko Rantanen was kind of, you know, Miko Rantanen does score a lot of goals. Snake yeah. Bitten a little bit. Yeah. The, that was the entire playoffs for McKinnon. Yeah. It was specifically that, that final series. Val Nichushkin was carrying the weight. Obviously Kadri in game four had the winner. Um, but and, and you know, in game one, it was game two was everybody. Helm and Manson were sniping on Vasilevsky, but Burakovsky in game one, JT Comfer in game one. But McKinnon, I want to say, scored his first goal in that series in game five. And it was like kind of when's McKinnon going to make his mark? And Tampa Bay has a one nothing lead in game six. And Nathan McKinnon sets uh, Nathan McKinnon ties the game up at one one with a sick shot on a tight angle and then Nathan McKinnon sets up Arturi Lekkinen for the game winner to make it two to one so he never doubts himself and I think that's something that you need in your superstars because you don't want him to ride the ebbs and flows the way that you know most players and most people do well now that I guess they've officially joined the playoffs and have officially contributed in you know the fashion that we expect of them it's time for the power play to step up and kind of contribute the yeah. way we expect of it as well, right? Power play still hasn't scored a goal in the whole series. Um, I guess, what what do you think is going wrong there? What do they have to do to adjust it? Or is it one of those things where you don't have to do anything? It'll start going in as long as you keep doing the work like we were talking a second ago. In games two and three, they had an in- incredible amount of chances. It's just not going in. Game one, something needed to change, and I think they ended up fl- uh, flipping Nichushkin for Lekkinen on that top unit. And obviously Val's not there anyway, so Lekkinen would be on the top unit regardless at this point. But what they were doing in game two and especially in game three, they were getting a ton of chances. It just wasn't going in for them, and I think that's the that's the the way you got to kind of ride it right now is don't worry, things will eventually hopefully start to go in. Um, Kel McCarr is doing good things. Even the second unit is getting good opportunities. So I wouldn't worry about it too much. You do want to kind of get a little bit of a hot streak going before you, like you said, if you get into the second round, uh, you kind of want to be getting going before that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was such a dangerous part of what they've put together the last couple of years. I mean, to have it chipping in, it would be huge for them right now. And I don't think it would be much of a contest if the power play was rolling at full steam. I think, you know, we'd see a lot more blowouts, a lot more puck lines than we've seen so far. And you know, I love the puck line and you know, I love it on Superbook sports. Of course, baseball is back as well as the push for the postseason for hockey and for hoops. Make it all count this spring with Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports is the best wagering app around with a direct line to experienced bookmakers behind the counter in Las Vegas. Plus, you get a $250 bonus when you sign up, deposit, and wager in the same day. So don't let spring pass you by without winning money with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Arif, I know Georgiev isn't exactly the topic of conversation after after last night's game, but let's let's just take these three games that he's put together so far, take a step back and assess what he's done. I guess what do you what are your thoughts on his game? Because for some reason, you know, he, he's been okay, but I feel like w- there's another level to him that we haven't yeah. seen yet these playoffs. I think the biggest thing to take away from the Seattle Kraken series is so in game two, Georgiev was strong, and we remember that. But there hasn't been an 
like this total dominance of an outpouring of opportunities um, from the Seattle Kraken at one point where you need him to be that kind of player. So the Kraken have had waves of chances, but like, so basically what I'm trying to explain, it's really hard to explain because Jared, Jared did a good job of this yesterday when I asked him about it, but it's like Georgiev hasn't stolen any games for you. He stepped up big in game two when the game was two to two, and that helped a lot. I wouldn't say he stole the game as much mm-hmm. as he helped kind of let the Avalanche do what they did with the Devontae's game winner. He hasn't stolen any games for you, but he hasn't lost any games for you. He's kind of just right there. And that to me is a symptom of the Seattle Kraken don't have the star power to, you know, with McDavid and Drysaddle and Zach Hyman and Ryan Nugent Hopkins are going to skate circles around you. And Evander Kane, I should say as well, are going to skate circles around you and get chance after chance after chance. And Georgiev's out there doing his thing and, and like stopping them dead in their tracks like he did in that regular season game that ended two to one in overtime. Yeah, you can say that he did his thing. Seattle hasn't done a lot of that. But at the same time, Georgiev has let in nine goals, obviously. The Avalanche have 10 goals. The Kraken have nine in the series. Um, But the Avalanche have also had a lot of turnovers. So I do agree. There is another level, but I'm not ready to say that he's not a playoff goalie and he's not doing well and all this. It's still far too early for that. Um, The biggest thing for me is the team is starting... I mean, yesterday they played probably one of their better games in terms of uh, a complete effort defensively and executing exactly on what they wanted to do. But it was also the game where he let in the most goals. It's it's very strange in that way. They were they they turned off their their forechecking, their game, their brains, their hockey brains for 19 seconds, and two goals went in. And, and early in the game, they had to weather the storm. So, you know, basically what I'm getting at is I do agree there is another level for him to get to but I don't by any means think that he's lost them anything. No, not even close. He's been more than adequate. I just, again, I feel like um, we we just haven't seen the Georgiev we were expecting. I mean, not that we've been underwhelmed or disappointed by what he's brought to the table, but um, yeah, maybe I, I, I think you're onto something too. Like maybe it's just a lack of real dangerous tests. A lot of the things that are leading me to say this are we've seen him get sniped a couple of times. And I think yeah. that's out of character yes. for him. Um, but other that than that, goal in, that goal in game two, that one sticks out to me big time. Yeah, exactly. Other, other than that, I don't think he's been terrible by any means. Um, he's been just fine, <laughs> just fine. Um, but I guess with that being said, let's say the avalanche go on and win game four, come home with a three, one lead. Are you comfortable maybe giving Francis a look at that point no. and just you you still want to keep riding your gift? You don't Absolutely. think there's any chance yeah. he needs a little rest? Yeah. The, you don't got a galaxy brain this thing. That's something that a lot of teams are doing. We saw Minnesota do a little bit of that with starting Marc-Andre Fleury in game two. Um, you don't got to overthink this. Go with the guy that you know works. Go with the starter and look no further than last year. Frankie was incredible in the playoffs when you relied on him. You know, maybe game four was a little shaky, but everybody was scoring in game four between the Avalanche and the Oilers. Um, Frankie was incredible in the playoffs, but point is every game that Darcy Darcy Kemper was healthy. I almost said Darcy Campbell. Darcy Kemper was healthy. Every single game he was healthy, he started. The only time he was the backup and not healthy was in game four after Frankie had already won games one, two, and three against Edmonton. 
and they kind of were just like, all right, let Frankie win then finish the series. The Avalanche ended up winning six to five in overtime thanks to that goal from Lekkonen. But I promise you this, even if Frankie had shut out the Edmonton Oilers in game four, they're going back to Darcy against the Tampa Bay Lightning. So don't overthink it. Don't overdo it. Georgiev's healthy. Georgiev plays a lot of games in a row. He's done it a number of times this year. He's feeling fine. He's not at that point like he was in January where Jared had to give him kind of a little bit of a mental reset. Like if that happens, sure. But it was it's beneficial just, for him. Is, it was. It was. But, but right now he's not at that point. He's not frustrated. He's not slamming his stick. He's not playing terrible. He's not being, you know, maybe he's not being tested. Like yesterday, the shots were 34 to 29. All it takes is two goals to be, you know, under a 920 save percentage when you're facing 29 shots against a team like Seattle, whose highest goal scorer is 40 goals from Jared McCann. So it's going to be a little bit different when you play the Minnesotas, the Dallases, or the LAs and Edmontons and, and Vegas and even Winnipeg if they advance, like, all of these teams have a different level of star power. I'm, I, I get what you're saying for sure. And I'm not, you know, this isn't something. Let me, I... let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. You start Georgie in game four. He wins it. You come back to Denver. You put in Frankie, the Avs lose. What do you do in game six? Well, that, that's a, okay. So you're in my mind, you're coming back for game five with a three, one lead. You essentially have three games to beat the Kraken one more time. I think you can do that in three games, no matter what the circumstances. So yeah, if you give but... Pablo a chance. He wins. Then, then what? Then you, then you got everybody rested and, and everybody ready to go for round two. But you're over, you're, you're risking putting in a goalie that is a little bit cold and yes, he's cold. And I know, you know, he came in last year and he was, you know, not cold, but right. And I, same thing, I, I'm pretty sure like, that the injuries he's dealt with all year long are the same injury that, you know, you don't want it to pop up again. So, you know, yeah, you don't but, to throw him out there just to get hurt again. But point is, if you're going to end the series in this scenario, let's say you, you win, you win Monday and then you win Wednesday or sorry, you win Monday and you have a three to one lead heading into Wednesday. If you win that series on Wednesday, you're going to have four to six days, but be, 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 until your next game, if you're Georgiev, do you think you're going to sit there and be like, yeah, yeah, I need six to eight days off. Let Frankie have this one. No, you're going to put in Georgiev and he's going to sit there and be like, fuck yeah, let's get four to six days rest. Let me go in there and win the game so we can have that four to six days rest so that we can see him on Instagram posting pictures at Red Rocks because he likes to explore <laughs> Colorado on his off days. Um, that's kind of the way that I see it. There's no, there's yeah, no that's, reason, you're right. You're right. Yeah, like if it was, if this was a very crammed playoffs, I'd get it. But like winning a series in five, the the like the good thing you get out of that is a lot of rest and Gorgie's going to look at that and say, let me do this and let me just get it done and taken care of. By the way, really quick, I want to go back to the star thing that we were talking about. I know we moved on from them, but the avalanche, I just remembered when I mentioned the shots on goal, the avalanche outshot Seattle 34 to 29. So it wasn't a huge shot discrepancy, pretty even, you know, right till the end at five on five when Kale McCarr, was on the ice the shot attempts not shots on goal shot attempts this is even more fascinating because shot attempts are even shots that are blocked and shots that miss the net it was 21 to 5 with Kale McCarr on the ice so not only in the 24 minutes I think it was 24 minutes that Kale McCarr played not only did Seattle not get five shots on goal at five on five they didn't even get five shot attempts at five on five just an incredible number. That's that's the kind of stuff that Kale McCarr does where even away from his goal and an assist, when he was on the ice, it was in the Seattle zone pretty much the entire time. 
And interesting that uh, Nathan McKinnon came out and said that this is probably the, the hardest round one he's faced yet, right? But as long as Kale McCarr's on the ice, there's no sweat, no problems there. Too bad you don't have two Kale McCars. Yeah, but it's it's funny. I mean, you pretty much have two and a half. Kale, one and a half. Yeah, yeah, two and a half. I mean, Devontae's, I don't know if you have that written in our in our plan to talk about, but Devon Taves has been incredible. By the way, the Oilers just tied it up at three to three. They were down three to nothing when we started the show 27 minutes ago. Just wild stuff. Two goals for Dreisaitl. That'd be um, fascinating if this was a live show. Yeah, I know, right? Everybody's going to be like, yeah, well, you idiot. We already know the Kings won <laughs> 6-3 or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be hilarious if they actually win 6-3. But going back to what I was saying, I don't know if you had this on the agenda today, but Devon Taves has been absolutely incredible in this series. Seeing what he's doing has been awesome. Bowen Byram, you know, you and I have talked about him a lot on the show and, and off the record. We love that kid. He's been crazy good. And Kel McCarr's doing his Kel McCarr thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that third pairing might be a little bit, you know, leaving more to be desired, but the, the top two pairings, the way they're set up right now are just, I think dominant. So, you know, stick with what you're, what you got right in that scenario. And I think everything will be fine. But with that, I think you look at the depth of the forward group and, and that's kind of shuffling around, right? I mean, Cogliano gets healthy. Um, you know, you've had Myers in there, Helm's been in and out. So I guess what, what do we think the depth looks like for, for game four here? I would assume Darren Helm gets back in. Uh, I don't know who sits probably Ben Myers, silly question, but I don't know about you, but game three was one of the best games I've seen Ben Myers play. He ben was Myers physical. He was physical. He was in the play. He was a pesky little guy. He was doing his thing and he was trying to generate. He was doing well. Uh, Matt Nieto also looked good. He played 15 minutes. I know he started on the second line and then that didn't last long, which deservedly so it shouldn't last long, but he played 15 minutes and he was effective. So, you know, maybe Dennis Malgin, Lars Eller played well. I thought he was really good in game three. Uh, the offense isn't there yet for Lars Eller, but 71% in the draws. He's been great on the PK. He's been the, the, the analytics and the numbers with him on the ice have been very good for the avalanche in terms of defensive zone draws and him winning them and being successful in getting the puck out. So, uh, the offense hasn't been there yet, but you know, then again, he's playing with Myers and, and Malgin, you know, on, on two of the three games is what he started with. So can't entirely blame him there. I think if he had Burakovsky and last year's new hook, cause whatever the hell this year's new hook is, especially recently is very snake bit. Um, he'd probably be producing a little bit more so far, but you know, who sits? Is it going to be Dennis Malgin? Is it going to be Ben Myers? That's if Darren Helm comes back. And if Helm and Nichushkin both come back, then you got to sit two guys, which would be probably Nieto and Myers or Myers and Malgin. So now suddenly you're at a point with Jared Bednar, again, assuming everybody is healthy, which we don't know what the situation is with Nichushkin. And he's very much probably not playing game four. Um, you're at a point where you finally have to make those tough decisions you haven't had to make all year. So I guess to answer the question I asked, we have no idea what the depth of the literally, <laughs> Yeah, literally no idea because on any given day, I mean, Darren Helm, there was a joke we were making among the media today that he went to Jared Bender. This is fake. It's just a joke. But he went to Jared Bender between, before the playoffs and said, I got six games left in me. So choose them wisely. And when they lost game one, they're like, all right, we're going to put you in for game two. And now we're like, all right, we're going to kind of see how it plays out. So um it's going to be the Darren Helm rolling of the dice pretty much every game. He he took part in morning skate. He took part in, uh, I think, pregame. No, he wasn't in pregame skate, but he was in morning skate and then didn't play the game, even though he talked to media and everything. It's just Helm season, man. He's His body's broken, and you know I think I've made the joke before. This guy's going to retire so damn fast when the season ends. 
But God bless him. He's putting it all out on the line when he plays. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's anything to look into. You said that it was Helm, Jack Johnson, and McDermott skating today. Um, you know, I don't. Again, I don't know if there's anything to read into for what that means for tomorrow. No, it just it just means he has to get his reps in. It's got to be painful to be getting yeah. reps in while you're half broken. But hey, he's got to do his thing and try to stay in game shape. So I understand it. Um, Eric, I know you. You know, you touched on it a little bit, kind of brushed over your experience at the Seattle Kraken's first ever playoff game. Is there more to it? Is there more of the picture that you want to paint for us as far as the atmosphere, the uh, ambiance, and just the overall experience of the first playoff game? I think their their goal song is really cool. They've worked Let's Go Kraken into it. Um, I'm not going to pretend I can remember. I think the song is called Lithium. I forget who it's by. But it's, I like it, let's go cracking. And the way that everybody says it in that atmosphere is so cool, very chilling. Um, that was awesome. The pregame, uh, like the introductions that they did and the ceremony that they did before the puck dropped was so damn cool. It was so great. Uh, people were people were buzzing. I mean, this is a market that didn't hit it off the way Vegas did um, for many reasons. Number one, they were kind of, very bad in their first year and the excitement dropped really quickly. Uh, they didn't have the same kind of excitement in the expansion draft. They didn't have the same kind of star power, especially last year. It was like Jaden Schwartz and Jordan Everly and Oleksiak and Adam Larson. Like they didn't have those big names, um, which this year, you know, Jared McCann has taken off. Maddie Beneers has been a fun addition because that's that young of the future kind of center that they've been able to add in. Uh, so this year it's taken off a little bit more. But this market is just such a raw hockey market in general. So I didn't really know what to expect. And I was more than taken aback by it. It was just an in incredible atmosphere. It was really fun. Like I said, it was crazy early. When the Kraken got the first goal, it was really crazy. When Oleksiak scored to make it 3-2, to two, they started to get a little life. Because the Avalanche had silenced the crowd pretty much at that point. Oleksiak making it 3-2, to two, there was a little bit of life. When Maddie Beneers made it three to three, the, the place like you could go deaf. It was so unbelievably loud and so cool and so fun. And then, like I said, it didn't put an inch, an inch. It didn't put a hint of panic in the avalanche because they came out in the third period and just shut her down again, which was really cool to see that they are not phased by this. It's too bad for them that they don't have Andre Burkowski because he would yeah. be a good addition for them, make it a little bit more electric, but just add him to the list of guys who played in the Stanley Cup final that are hanging by a thread, right? Um, but it <laughs> did it, did it, I guess I've been curious about the building itself there in Seattle. Does it throw you off at all entering through essentially the top concourse and then looking down? It's very different. It's very different in that sense. The building itself is really cool. What I like about it is as compared to like Edmonton or Detroit, or I haven't been to UBS center, but I've seen pictures of it. The one in on Long Island, this one has a lot less of a cookie cutter, new corporate building feel. It's got a personality to it. It's very well done. It's very, I don't know how I feel about the double jumbotrons. I still don't know if I like those much. They're called the twins, I believe. Um, but the actual building, the way that, you know, it starts from that upper concourse, the way that when you're standing outside, it's just this like, looks like a single family home. It doesn't look that high <laughs> up. And then you go into it and you go downwards into like the, uh, 
into the actual arena is really, really cool. I think that's cool. I love the windows. They obviously have them covered up for the games, but like today on an off day, they had those windows open and you can get that natural light coming into the rink is really cool. Um, it's, it's a special building. It really is. It's different. It's very Seattle vibe kind of, uh, kind of building. And it's just very well done. And then how about the fans? Do, do, do they give the presence of being educated or do you still get the hint that they're, they're still learning their way through this? It's a little bit of both. I mean, they, they were very much great with the refuse suck chance when there were missed calls on uh, the, the avalanche. They were very good with booing, you know, the icings and the offsides and the things like that. They know their stuff. I mean, it's 18,000 people in the building. If only 3000 people in there are crazy hockey fanatics, you're still going to hear them. But the market in general is, is coming around to the team. I remember I, I took a trip to Nashville and saw an Av Predators game in Nashville in 2020. And there was a, a good contingent of those fans that still didn't really know what yeah. was going on, which was surprising to me. But I would expect it to be a little bit better in, in Seattle for sure. Yeah, which, mind you, by the way, I'm talking uh, on about Seattle as if like they draw Arizona numbers. This is that's very much not the case. This is one of the highest grossing revenue teams in the NHL right now. They have been a great success and Coachella Valley, their team in the AHL is top three in grossing revenue. They have been a great success. Uh, this market has done nothing but grow hockey related revenues. It's going to be a the, part of the reason why the cap is going to explode once this uh, COVID debt is paid off. Uh, so they've been great in that sense that people are just learning as they go though. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. So we'll see what they bring for game four here. I guess now's a good time to take a step back and, and look at the rest of the Western conference playoffs, right? Particularly, I think we're keeping our eye on the Dallas, Minnesota series, which was tied two two just tonight. So um, yeah, I guess you're just overall thoughts on what's going on around the rest of the league. Uh, these are some really fun series. The Dallas, Minnesota one is exactly what we thought it would be. It's two teams beating two teams, exchanging blows, both in terms of wins and literal blows. Like they are beating the crap out of each other every single day. Uh, Minnesota won game one, Dallas game two, Minnesota game three, Dallas answers back with game four. Jake Ottinger is playing great. Philip Gustafson is playing great. Marcus Felino is getting all up in everybody's grill. Joe Pavelski obviously got hurt in game one. Everybody's doing their thing. And it's been really cool to see both of those teams kind of just duke it out on the scoreboard. Uh, physically, after the whistle stuff, it's it's a rugged vintage hockey series, um, and the winner of that is going to come out limping to play the Kraken or the Avalanche, which is the good part for the Avalanche, and and all the more reason why you want to figure out a way to win Monday, win Wednesday, finish the series in five, sit back with your ice packs and watch Minnesota and Dallas continue to beat the crap out of each other. Hope you get Val Nachushkin back and be ready to go for that second round. So. That's that series. I feel like whoever you get, Minnesota or Dallas, if you're the Avalanche, I think it's going to go deep. It's going to go six yeah. or seven games. And then that's, that's that's right where the what you're saying is going to kick in, where they are beating each other up now. You know, I think they're still going to have the adrenaline. They're still going to be able to go early in round two. But if that thing gets to six or seven games after they already played six or seven games in the first round, I mean, they're going to be – tired they're gonna be beat up and it's it's gonna be to the avalanche's advantage for sure but um you know still no no easy picking still gonna be a really tough series no matter what but let's not get ahead of ourselves still two games to win yeah against the seattle kraken 
Yeah. And it's not just that the Avalanche are looking to win this in five. It's the Avalanche are looking to win in general. Like in 24 hours from now, we could be watching game four. The Kraken could win, send it back to Denver, tie series again. So uh, it's very much not over, but that's a fun series. Edmonton LA has been a little bit interesting. Obviously, the LA Kings have a two to one series lead. Right now, game four is going on. So by the time you guys listen to this, you will know if it's either three to one for the Kings or two to two, the Edmonton Oilers tie it up. So, you know, looking back, looking into the future, I can't do that just yet. But right now it is a three to three game. The Kings were up three to nothing. That is a fascinating series where we're seeing the LA's rugged vintage defensive style game uh, with their offensive flair going up against the Oilers of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl doing their thing. Leon Dreisaitl has been absolutely incredible as he always is in the postseason. Connor McDavid kind of trailing a little behind, but that's a fun series. And then Vegas, Winnipeg, man, Winnipeg gave it their all. I think that series is over, even though it's two to one for Vegas right now. And game four is in Winnipeg for two reasons. Number one, Winnipeg gave all they had to erase a four to one deficit to send it to overtime and then to lose in second overtime, I believe it was to the Vegas golden Knights in a game where Josh Morrissey got injured on his second shift. They lose in second overtime. And then Rick bonus comes out and announces that Morrissey's done for the series. So all of that put together in their first home game in, in five years or whatever it was, it's tough. It's tough that, you know, somebody put it laid it out in simpler terms. The Vegas Golden Knights haven't, or sorry, the, the Winnipeg Jets haven't had a home playoff game in five years and they lost to their backup goalie the last time they had a home playoff game. So <laughs> that, that's, it's very unfortunate. Laurent Brossois in Vegas got that overtime win. Um, I think that series is over. So I, I could see Vegas, maybe Colorado, LA or Edmonton, who knows, Minnesota, Dallas, who knows. It's going to be a great second round. Well, no matter what, the playoffs around the league have met expectations, right? Yes. The parody's been yes. kicking in. We saw three overtime games on Saturday, and mm-hmm. um, pretty much every series was 1-1 except for two of them, one of them, two of them, one of them. One, 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 one of them. Only Carolina. The and Rangers. every series and every series was, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, you're right, two of them. But every series is 2-1 to one. heading into today's games where obviously now the Carolina Hurricanes have taken a 3-1 to one lead. The LA Kings have a chance of doing that as well. But through three games, every series was 3-1. to one, was two to one. Um, In the Eastern Conference, New Jersey has been a little bit of a dud. We saw them bounce back in game three after getting shellacked two games in a row, 5-1. to one. Uh, We've seen Boston and Florida exchange blows. Obviously, now Boston is also a team that's up 3-1. to one. Three to one, right? Yeah, three to one. Um, I, I'm losing track of which game is which for these series. It's a challenge to to follow every series it's, when you're also following hockey. the Avalanche. Yeah, closely. it's a lot of hockey, man. Um, but the one that sticks out to me is Toronto and Tampa Bay. There is like a deep rooted hate between those two teams right now. It started last year. It's going into this series. You're seeing the coaches go at each other and their post gamers. Uh, John Cooper's getting grumpy already. Did you see his comments after game two mm-hmm. about uh, the centerman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for those who didn't see it, basically the Leafs lost game one. Well, the Leafs got blown out in game one and they decided to put Ryan O'Reilly. They took him off the wing and put him at center so that they can go Matthews, Tavares and O'Reilly down the center. And John Cooper and the was asked about that after game two, because Toronto responded by winning game two, seven to two. And uh, the reporter that asked the question said, you know, 
what was different or, you know, what did you have to do different with Toronto taking O'Reilly and putting him at three C and having that three headed monster down the center. And he said, give me Braden point, Anthony Sorelli and Nick Paul against any top three C in the NHL. And then just got up and walked off the podium. So they're already going at each other. Now Sheldon Keefe is talking about how John Cooper and the Tampa lightning are great at manipulating the refs. Austin Matthews and Steven Stamkos dropped the gloves and got five-minute majors in the first fight in NHL history between two 60-goal scorers. Never happened before. Um, Ryan O'Reilly got a penalty. Full stop. That's the whole sentence. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan O'Reilly got a penalty. Ryan O'Reilly's also been spectacular for Toronto. He's been everything that team needs. And and I've been like listening to all the radio shows and the podcasts of Ryan Ryan scoring that game tying goal with seconds left on the clock and then assisting on Morgan Riley's game winner in overtime. And they're all talking about how he's a savior, a winner. He doesn't have the, you know, the, the ghosts of the past of the sleeves team. And he's kind of carrying them. It's what, it's what O'Reilly does. Um, it's a conversation for another day, how freaking amazing that dude would have been as a second line center on the Savs team. But, you know, it's been such a fun series. Basically what I'm trying to get at and why I mentioned this one most with them playing last year, going seven rounds with Tampa Bay, having all they have on the line, given the fact that they are three years in a row in the Stanley cup final two championships, uh, ever since 2019, they've been the beasts of the East going up against Toronto, who, if they don't win this series are going to blow a lot of things up in their front office and their roster. There is a lot of urgency and a lot of stress on both of those teams to win. They played last year and went seven, seven games deep. Here they are again. If you are not tuning in to Toronto versus Tampa and you are a hockey fan, you got to tune in. So that's my sale of that series um, because it's been the funnest one to watch so far. There you have it. A look around the NHL. So I guess let's prepare for uh, whatever happens Tuesday or I guess Monday. I mean, sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm all lost in my days. <laughs> These playoffs, and then we got the Nuggets going on too. Every it's just chaotic right it's now. Like, I'm ready I'm for round two. <laughs> I don't even know where I am. You, we, we turned on the show. I'm somewhere in Seattle. It's eight o'clock over here. I think it's nine o'clock in Denver. I'm in Ryan Clark's office. He's in the other room watching hockey. I, I'm exhausted. I think today's Sunday. I think I come home Tuesday. He was supposed to be on this episode, but what happened? Yeah, we uh, we decided to shift it to have Clark on between round one and two. So if the Avalanche lose to the Kraken, then you know we can talk about what could have been and what happened. If the Avalanche win, then we can talk about Minnesota slash Dallas versus the Avs in round two. After all, as we know, Ryan Clark is not a Seattle Kraken beat reporter. He is an ESPN national reporter. So it doesn't matter who the Avs are playing. He's got some info and some insights. And he's got a Real Madrid scarf behind you there. So he's got some points in my book. but uh, And a really comfy computer chair. I need one of these at my house. Oof. I'm excited to see the uh, updates and everything from you uh, Monday morning from Morning Skate. So let's see what the lineup looks like. Let's see the latest news and see if anything comes up on Val Nishushin. The mystery evolves and see how uh, how that develops. So, um, yeah, if you've made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. We got you.